Welcome to the road to growth, success of an entrepreneur. We've raised the bar. Learn firsthand from successful business owners and create your own path to success. I'm going to show you how great I am. It's time to hit the road to growth with team lead of the Enriquez Group, Realtor Vinny. So great to see you. Excited to have this talk with you, man. Well, I mean, I know, I mean, I know now you're really focusing on, on the book. Um, what's, I mean, if you're trying to, I guess, sell the book, I mean, what's like the, the elevator pitch, what's something, Hey, to get the people excited about, Hey, this is the book. Why you should read it. Well, this was the book that I wish I had when I was uh, a 21 year old college dropout trying to figure out my life. I, I feel like, you know, you read about these mega tech successes on the press, on LinkedIn, on TechCrunch. Uh, and it's unrelatable to the, to the large population of, the, of people in the, US, in the U.S. It seems unattainable. And what I try to do in this book is make that success not only more attainable, but I try to give you the, the formula, the playbook to go from being someone that's, you know, an underdog, someone that's unseen to becoming unstoppable. So where, where did you immigrate from? I'm Dominican. I grew up in Santo Domingo. Uh, and I came to, uh, to the States to Harlem when I was 11, 11 years old. Yeah. Okay. So do you, you still remember, I mean, for the most part, I mean, 11, I mean, before that, like what it felt like to, to grow up in the Dominican. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I, I feel like my most vivid memory was when I, you know, was when I used to sell guayabas. I picked guayabas out of a tree in the back of my house. I used to sell them in front of my house. Uh, we didn't always have running water or you know, recurring electricity. So I used to use that to buy candles at the supermarket nearby. So we can, um, my brother and I can, can read at night. And that was pretty much my, my life for the first 11 years. Was it, was it only your, yourself and your mother? Uh, myself, my mother and my brother. Okay. And so what was that? What was that force, I guess, to move to Harlem? I mean, was it your mother? Was it you and your brother? I mean, who drove you to, to get to, to Harlem? So my, my dad lived in New York. Uh, at the time, he was working, uh, making ends meet, uh, supporting us, sending remittances back home. Uh, and you know, one of the things I cover in the book, you know, I had some incidents uh, when I was younger, uh, and I got into a motorcycle accident. And a motorcycle hit me. Went up in a coma for two days. He flew over to to Harlem, to, to, to Santo Domingo, and said, "You know, we're getting out of here." And a year later, I wound up um, in Harlem with my my dad, my mother, and my brother. Was it was it? F- I mean, fairly easy to to because I mean, your your father was already in Harlem. Was it fairly easy to get you, your brother, your your mother over there? Or what was that process like? It took it took a long time. I mean, he was trying the minute I, that I was born. So it okay. took like, like ten plus years, uh, you know, emigrating from from an undeveloped country to to get you know residence in the states fairly complicated so it took it took a long time but fortunately uh we were able to make it so what was the the, the biggest um like roadblock of like transitioning from this 11 year old kid to harlem living in the states i mean what was the was it the language was it basically culture i mean what was the the biggest roadblocks it was a lot of those aspects uh i, I remember i i came to the states and i was just kind of drowning in fear and anxiety. Like I didn't speak the language, but I wasn't exactly in a friendly place. 
Uh, it's a very unwelcoming place. I mean, just, you're talking about New York City, uptown, early 90s, pre-Giuliani, subways filled with graffiti, you know, crack pipes everywhere, broken glass everywhere. It's just abandoned buildings everywhere. That's what I saw. I mean, it was like a freaking war zone, right? And so every day and each day, people around me going to school were guarded. My school was next to New York, New York State Correctional Facility. Oh, wow. So my entire world very quickly was surrounded by kind of this sense of just this abysmal sense of desperation and hopelessness uh, and just crying. And that's, so I went from kind of going, going up in this environment where it was impoverished, but relatively safe uh, to this environment where it was kind of a lot of opportunity, but, uh, but not safe. Right. So it was kind of uh, from, what do you say? Into the fire, out of the frying pan, into the fire, so to speak. Yeah. Well, so you had this entrepreneurship mindset at 11 years old, and you're saying opportunities. I mean, I would think legal opportunities and non-legal opportunities, right? I mean, yeah. what? When did your kind of entrepreneurial mindset kind of start pushing you? Because we could probably be having this a different story of you going down yeah. the, the different rabbit hole. Yeah. Uh, I mean, no, so what, what, what helped keeping you kind of down that path and where did you kind of go to next? Yeah, I definitely had, had friends. Uh, one of my best friends, I talk about this in the book games who, who was my cool friend. Cause I was very much not a cool person. Uh, you know, he went down that path. Unfortunately, he joined a gang, uh, became a gang member very early. And a few years later, you know, he lost his life, uh, to gang related activities. So. You know, being entrenched in that ecosystem in that world, like you're limited to the scope of what you see, and you can't be what you can't see. Uh, you know, luckily I had two two good parents, uh, and I was able kind of to keep my my head above water. I, I always, you know, read a lot. I watched a lot of like, you know, uh, Bloomberg TV, believe it or not, and I always had this kind of dream and passion of like making it to Wall Street uh, in some way, shape or form, even um, because it felt kind of close because it felt physically close, but it still felt like so far, mm. uh, figuratively speaking, uh, because it, it seems almost unreachable, but that kind of hope burned small fire inside of me slowly but surely. What, what, what was that fire? What was that, that North Star for you? Honestly, man, it didn't. It was a sense of escapism. Okay. I wanted to. I just wanted to leave. I wanted to skip the hell out of my circumstances. Gotcha. Uh, I wanted to use. It, it felt like I knew there has to be something better. Um, I don't know how. Uh, I didn't have a framework for how to get out. I didn't. You know, college yeah. was not even kind of a thing that people spoke about. But I knew there's got to be something better than this. And that's why I kind of like used that fire and desire towards like, okay, how do I get out? So my, my first inclination was, you know, I got into college and then I, I got into the Air Force. I wanted to be a pilot. I took flying lessons out of New Jersey's uh, TD Water Airport. And that was going to be my, okay, this is my path out of my circumstances. Um, and I did that for about a year. And afterwards, you know, my parents were in a situation where I needed to make ends meet. 
So obviously, you know, to become a pilot being in the Air Force has a 10-year trajectory until you see any money. So I decided, uh, you know, I'm going to put this on pause. And uh, I dropped out of the Air Force uh, in 2000. And then I became an aircraft mechanic. Uh, I wound up getting two jobs at the, at the FK airport, uh, making some decent money. Did that for a couple of years, saved up uh, enough money to put a down payment in a house in Queens. And then I moved my parents out of Harlem into Queens. Wow. So, so you basically saved enough money to kind of bring your family with you. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I felt like, you know, they had made all these sacrifices to bring me over to the States. I felt like, you know, I was indebted to, I had to do this for them. So when wow. we, you know, so when I did that, I was like, okay, this is great. Now we're in Queens and it feels a little safer. Um, but I felt like, man, I could do a lot more than just, you know, be a blue collar worker, which is, it wasn't for me. I'm uh, not doing something wrong with that, but it wasn't for me. Um, so when I was about 22, when most people were finishing college, I decided to go back to college. Uh, no school would take me. So I, I went to the only school that would take me, which is uh, Queensboro Community College. They take anyone. And I just wanted to be kind of an environment of kind of education, academia. But if you've ever been to a community college, it's kind of like a bunch of misfits. Mm. You know, you have, you know, you know, older people, single moms, uh, you know, ex-cons, people trying to put their life together. And after a year or two there, I knew that that wasn't for me. I needed to kind of elevate the people that I was surrounded by. So I, so I went from community college to city college, which was a, a brew college, which is in the city. And that became magical because just by transfer, physically transferring from a place that's in the suburbs to a place in the city, I felt a really different sense of energy. Uh, I, I was surrounded by people who were much further ahead of me. I was closer to the banks that I wanted to work at. Uh, and physical proximity to the, to the thing that you want became kind of this magical uh, playbook, so to speak, uh, which I would repeat throughout my life. Um, yeah, man, but shortly after that, I, I I wound up getting an internship uh, at an investment bank. And after that, I said to myself, I ain't never going back to become an aircraft mechanic ever again. Uh, you, so you, I mean, you're 20 some years old, right? Mm -hmm. you, you bought a house, you're going to college, you're, I mean, you saved money to, to buy the house for your family, you're going to mm -hmm. college and that stuff. I mean, most 20 sums, I mean, we have probably some 20 sums listening here, they're mm -hmm. late teens, right? They're thinking about partying it up, right? So I mean, I'm assuming you had people in your circle. They're like, "What are you doing, man? Let's go party. Let's go to the club. Let's go do some some fun." And you're saving money. I mean, how do you keep those the wrong people away from you out of your kind of like circle? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I definitely, definitely, I definitely had. I was very busy. I was just working a lot. Like I, I remember one time, true story. I wound up working 33 hours in a row. Uh, so most of my young life, you know, I was just working a lot. And then I started going to school. So I was working and then going to school. Uh, it, it wasn't until business school, you know, when I got into business school at 28 was the first time I did not, I only did one thing because I always, you know, I got, I got to the States when I was 12 and I was working from 12 to 28, working and going to school at the same time. Um, so I was just too busy. To, to like hang out 
you know, especially after things that happened early on in my life, I kind of like set a fire on the my ass that I felt like I had like the margin for error was so small that I didn't want to mess up. Can you, you're there's something more right you talked about basically that was your north star something more right mm-hmm. yeah. so yeah. you you moved I mean from from harlem to you said queens right to queens yeah that's right okay, okay so i mean in that early stage was there a moment where you're saying this is more and that's i'm content with that or was it a constant like i'm here now no there's still more i mean what like what was that kind of balancing act of like i'm here compared to I'm not far enough. That's a great question. So uh, when, you know, when we moved to Queens and I was now going to college, I, I think when I first went from uh, community college, city college, that's when I, I kind of, I, I felt even bigger urgency to do more. Yeah. Um, you know, at that time, my, my life was just being an aircraft mechanic and I was yeah. kind of working, working nights and weekends, holidays in the cold. Uh, and then I saw this world, people in suits, uh, all these banks, and I would go visit the banks and, you know, you have marble floors with Monet's on the walls. And it was like, wow, this feels right. I like this environment. It's intimidating, but I like it. I like how people conduct themselves. I like the lifestyle. Um, and, and I became kind of addicted to, to that ecosystem and I felt like I could just taste it. And it took me a while. Like nobody no no bank wanted to hire a, a 25-year-old, you know, Dominican immigrant kid from the projects that had an accent. But you know, lo and behold, I went, you know, to every bank. Every bank told me you no know, three times. So I got 30 rejections. Uh until I got one um one yes. And sometimes you only need one yes. Uh and I got an opportunity to intern at, at UBS Investment Bank. Uh, and wound up working 80 hours a week. And I did it with a smile on my face because I felt like, first of all, I'm indoors. <laughs> I wear a suit to work. Uh, how great is this? You know, uh, and I wound up kind of taking that experience and say, hey, this is for me. Like I, I can run, I can, I am good enough to be here in spite of what I believe or what society tells you. And once you get that inkling of like confirmation, like just a little bit, just a little window, that's all you need. I mean, something, I mean, and I don't know if it was intentional or not, but every time you went to a new place, right? It sounds like the people were in, in front of you. And so it gave you aspirations to kind of be on their level. And then you put yourself in the next one, exactly. right? And then exactly. people are in front of you kind of thing. I mean, was that intentional? Like every single place you want to be basically the lower person on the totem pole? No, no. It, it was just like that uh, naturally because, you know, uh, it, it was the case when I got into uh, the UBS. And then yeah. I, when I uh, went to JP Morgan as, as a full-time investment banker. Yeah. And then I wanted to go to business school and business school was the same thing because you know I, I felt like, oh man, I work at JP Morgan, you know, one of the biggest banks in the world. So like the biggest bank in the world. Um, and I was, you know, you know, all these people went to Ivy League schools. I I had hadn't gone to Ivy League school then, so I decided, well, why don't I apply to Ivy League schools? But you know, they have a requirement to take the GMAT, which is like the SATs. Yeah. Uh, and typically you score between seven thirty and seven fifty to, to get up to that level. Uh, my big, my best score, man, was a five seventy. I was not, 
I was not doing well at all. Like, you know, those type of tests were not my thing at all. Uh, but, but you know, I had the story, I had the resume, I had the background, and, you know, and I had, you know, the power and desire and, and, you know, the ambition to make it. And I pour all of that into the story, into my essay, into every single interaction that I had with somebody at these schools. Uh, many of them rejected me, but I wound up getting opportunity to go to the Wharton School, which is uh, the number one MBA program of that year. Uh, and, you know, I got conditional acceptance, you know, which means I had to take extra classes. Uh, but I didn't care. I was like, I just, I just need, I just need a window. I just need a sliver. And, and they gave me the opportunity and, you know, I was the dumbest person in that class, but I was able to interact with, with giants. Right. So, uh, I think that's all you need. You put yourself in the right, get yourself in the right room, get yourself in the room for your dumbest person and you will automatically learn from others, which is one of the things I talk about in the book. Now you're, you're in business school. Uh, you're still working at JP Morgan. What happens next? Where does the, the connection from that to building your startup? So, so, um, so I did business school full time. So I was able to just focus on business school to really help kind of reassess things. And I always wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I, I always felt like, oh, I need like 10 years of experience before being an entrepreneur. But being in business school kind of gave me a sense of confidence and empowerment that I think I felt like I never had before. It also gave me a psychological safety net because I felt like, look, if I fail at starting a business, I can always just get another job uh, with my business school degree. So with that mindset, I felt like, oh man, what, what's the one thing I could fix? What's the one, how do I start a company? Uh, and I didn't know then. And, but you know, the one thing I had experienced was you know receiving money, uh, remittances. So I, I figured, you know, why don't I fix that problem? It's very near and dear to my heart. I'm passionate about it. Why don't I go kill Western Union? Uh, so with that, I started a company called Regali, which aimed to do better remittances uh, using technology. Uh, and in 2013, you know, we were running out of money. We got applied to every accelerator. Uh, and then we applied to, to Y Combinator, which already was kind of the premier accelerator. Well, they created an accelerator model. Uh, uh, and luckily enough, we were able to, you know, to get in, you know, in, in, in our batch, there were a bunch of amazing companies. You know, one of the companies that was in our batch was, uh, DoorDash. Oh, wow. Right. So it goes to show you that the, the quality of companies that were there and you interact with those people at a very early stage and you start seeing how they behave, how they conduct themselves, how they tackle problems and obstacles. And all of a sudden you start seeing the playbook firsthand of what like the top 1% looks like. I mean, you're, mm. you're right there in the room with them physically. Uh, and so it's, it's almost hard not, not to, not to gather some of those aspects. Like you become like them almost by osmosis. Uh, and that's why, you know, getting in the right room is so important, which is, you know, which is chapter number three in the book. So when you're starting this, um, this, this business, I mean, I'm assuming you brought partners on. I mean, how do you find the right partners to to join on before you kind of got to the accelerator? I mean, what did that kind of look like? So yeah, I brought in a couple of partners. Um, uh, somebody uh, that I met at business school uh, with a Mexican descent named Zinigo, and also my 
my other friend Juan, who I met at Peru College, and um, and a CTO that I met while I was in Chile, um, working remotely. Me and my mayor, he's an ex-school engineer, so the four of us kind of started as the four co-founders uh, and uh, applied to Y Combinator. Uh, and, and we had other people also as employees as well. And then with the accelerator, you have more voices, I guess, in kind of the room. I mean, yeah. so how, how do you, because uh, I mean, I guess, and I, I know it's different, but there's probably a lot of people that have started a business or are in a business and they have a lot of people kind of talking about, hey, we got to go this direction, we got to do this direction and trying to find that right pathway of what what's to go the right direction. So for you, what did you find was the 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 best way to get everyone on the same page to kind of go that direction and make sure you got all the voices heard? That's a, that's a great point. So, you know, when you're an accelerator, you, you, you're assigned a mentor. Uh, and, and it was great because in reality, you, you come out of business school and you think that you know how to run a business. Mm -hmm. uh, but startups are not like businesses. They're more like experiments at the early stage. Uh, there's Because you know, like an experiment, you're, you're testing things out. You know, a business, a traditional business, you're just running, right? If you have a real estate business, you have a law business, you know, there's a proven formula for how to do those things. So you can just start doing them. When you're a startup, you're really building something that doesn't really exist. Yeah. That's kind of the thing, which is crazy. So you really have to test it out a lot of the time. So I think one of the biggest lessons learned is how much I had to unlearn at the beginning. Oh, wow. From what I thought a business was, I don't know what I thought a business was to, to what a startup really is. Yeah. And and working with these mentors, uh, especially the Y Combinator partners, all of whom are ex-founders themselves, which is great because they be, they've seen the movie already, so they can tell you um, all of all of the you know peaks and valleys, all, all the errors. So one of the things that one of the most memorable things that happened to me when I was picked, when I was uh, at, YC, at YC in 2013 was I was practicing my pitch. And, you know, because I always had an accent, I used to try to overcorrect and overcorrect. So one of the partners, uh, he said to me, like, Edricio, you're pitching well, but you, you sound rough. Like, you sound like a bug. Like, you got to hurt. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I found that so, it was so funny. Because I didn't take a personal because it really came from a good place. Because mm. it's like, man, like, I wish somebody else would have told me this because this, this is valuable information. I, mm. uh, you know, and I took that advice. I ran with it. And ultimately, uh, you know, I wound up going into TechCrunch, which uh, they have a pitch competition. And I made it to the finals. And that's how the uh -huh. pitch became. Just from that advice, your small tweaks. Uh, uh, so it was memorable. It was life changing for me. Did you did you ever? And I, I know you said that you had to unlearn all the stuff you you took away and, and getting feedback about how you you talk. Right? Could be people could take it personal, right? I know you said that it came from a good place. Did you see other people that maybe didn't want to take constructive criticism, and that's the reason why they didn't work out, or is more hurdles? Did you see that? Around. I think it varies. Uh, definitely the older folks were less receptive to, mm. to criticism. I think the younger you are, the more malleable we are, you know, or yeah. less than our ways. Uh, I, I was just like 30 at the time, 31, so to speak. So I'm still kind of relatively young enough to kind of be uh, in my, my attitude and approach to life has always been like, I, I want to be like 
intellectual sponge. I want to soak everything in. Mm-hmm. And if, if I'm surrounded by a bunch of people that do things better than me, I'm just going to listen. I want to just shut up and listen. So that's always been my approach. It's, it's been my only advantage, right? So um, so to me, I used to be approach. I'm going to learn from these folks. I'm in the room with the best of the best of the best. It's like, you know, if you want to learn how to play baseball, like what better place to go than like, you know, be in the locker room with the Yankees. So that was my approach. Do Because that, that was, it sounds like it was like 10 years ago, right? 2013? Yeah, exactly. So do you still feel you have that same mindset as someone gave you constructive criticism that you would be in that open to, I guess it, or? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. It's, it's like what got me here. It's, it's something that I'm, it's just how I approach everything in life, you know, I like, especially after writing the book, helped me kind of rewire mm. all those kind of synapses uh, into how I think about things. And it also helps you ground you to, you know, to who you are in spite of how much success you've had. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's definitely powerful. I mean, you see some people that I guess they get to a point, right. Where they're like, why are you telling me this? I know what I did. I accomplished this. I mean, do you ever think there'll be a point or you think you'll always be able to keep yourself grounded? I don't know, man. It's a good question. I feel like, you know, you know, you get to a particular level of success and then in like part of your brain almost expects it at a particular point. And then when you don't get it, it's like a nice kind of like a wake up call. Oh, like, interesting. This didn't work out how I thought it would work out. Why not? So it, it kind of, I, I like, I always say to people, to, to young founders is that, that it's like a video game and, and you go through many levels and every level gets harder than the last one. So if you're able, if you're ever at a point where you, you know, the challenges become insurmountable, or become very hard. That means you are at the highest level that you've ever gotten to. It's a good thing. You just got to keep getting better. And the levels will get harder. But the trick is, can you get better such that it seems easier? Got it. The um, Talking about those, I guess, those failures, I mean, looking back at kind of from where you came from, what would you say is kind of like that the biggest failure, I guess, or that biggest hiccup road uh, roadblock that you kind of went through? Uh, uh, as a founder or personal? Either one. I mean, if you look back, I mean, I know there's probably, there's a lot. I mean, coming from the Dominican, there's stuff that you had to kind of work through. I mean, with yeah. your uh, with your friend that passed away, I mean, yeah. is there something that kind of like, when you when you hit like a, a, I don't know, a low moment, you're like, you know what? I got past that thing right there. That means I can get past anything. There were several low, several low moments. Definitely, you know, when, you know, like, you know, my friend passed away. It kind of it was kind of shocking to me. And my best friend, like, is here one day, then gone the next. Uh, definitely a low point. Um, you know, when I when I was, you know, twenty one, and I was, you know, college dropout. You know, and and, and didn't know what to do, how to do it, or, or even how to move forward, and how to like kind of. Uh, formulate this energy that I had into something positive. That was just more frustrating. You know, when I was a founder, we we went through many ebbs and flows of of times where you know I would lose a round of financing, I would lose customers, or you know, pivot the company because I because of I the wrong decisions that I made as a leader. Um, and and you know, I was I felt like down and out. 
and and I feel like that's why I wrote the book. I wrote the book to kind of be that kind of that Bible, so to speak, that kind of helps uh, young people who have these aspirations but don't feel seen or or don't feel like they can do it. And I want to tell them that you can do it, and like this is the path forward. Like I can relate to that. Uh, and hopefully they read it and they see like, wow, they this person went through something very similar or of equal uh, degrees of challenge. And if he can do it, so can I. Do a lot of, I mean, if you had a decent amount of people reach out to you when they're working through their stuff and trying to get feedback from you? Yeah, I've had, that's been one of the most gratifying things. Uh, literally every day somebody writes to me in terms of, um, how I motivated them, how I inspired them, and how I helped them kind of reframe these obstacles, right? A lot of the book, one of the biggest themes in the book is um, how to how to react to, to loss, you know, um, how things happened in my childhood when I was nine years old that were tragic, but I overcame it. So, you know, I talk about, you know, the loss of childhood innocence. I talk about the loss of a friend the loss of a loved one, the loss of opportunities, you know, uh, you know, when I was a founder, you know, I, all I had was losses, right? Uh, or the loss of a team member, the loss of a term sheet, the loss of financing, but we kept, I always kept evolving. I kept adjusting and readjusting and coming back harder. And lo and behold, you know, we wound up going that company to, you know, millions of dollars in revenue and selling it to MasterCard in 2021. Does it ever happen where you where people reach out to you? I mean, because uh, I mean, I see. I mean, I see it in my own business, right? Where people say, "Oh my gosh, I'm dealing with this," and you you kind of dissect what they're talking about, and it seems such a minuscule thing relative to other like hurdles. I mean, does that happen to you where people are reaching out to you and and you're like, "Well, what are you talking about? That doesn't even seem that bad." Like, "Oh, you, your tire busted." Okay, I mean, does that happen to you? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, definitely. I think we all humans, you know, we are all we'll operate in these eco chambers right so yeah and the biggest good chambers that we have is our own head so we think about something happened to me and you know and something happened yesterday and it's stuck in my head and it's occupying kind of mental space in my head and that becomes the thing i'm thinking about right but i, I think you know and this is why books are so great because you know you get to kind of get out of your head and go into somebody else's head for you know six hours however long it takes you to read an audible um and it gets you sense you get to, you get to see their world right mm -hmm. this is why i love you know reading books because you get to see somebody else's perspective somebody else's journey and you get to kind of reframe your problem only for a little bit and that reframing tool is a very powerful one well you, you said you said this so your book's on audible yeah it's on audible and it's on kindle as well are, are you reading it or you have someone else reading it no, no, I had somebody else. I had a professional. Uh, <laughs> the man, I'm a, I'm a big Audible fan, and I, I just love it when the actual yeah the author reads the book. It feels a little bit different, anyway. So, uh, I, I, you, well, you have a great voice. So, if you write a book, you should do it. You should do it. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, if, if thank you, thank you so much for for being on the podcast. If if people are listening and they're looking to get your book, find out speaking engagements, events that um that you're going to be at what's the best way them to keep up to date with your yeah they can go to my website uh .com. perfect perfect and i'm going to just finish off with with one last last question i mean i know and i think i already have the gist of it, and i think the listeners probably have the gist of it 
but is there a key key takeaway that when someone finishes your book this is really what you want them to take away from that absolutely i think uh rules and obstacles and challenges are inevitable in life uh, you can react to it by becoming a victim, or you can see those roadblocks as stepping stones into a launching pad that can that can make you go from being someone that's unseen to becoming an unstoppable force. It's all about how you see things. It's all about how you react to those things that make you or break you. Thank you so much, Adelicio, for, for being here today. I mean, I, I know there's a lot of nuggets for everyone listening that you probably took away from this. I mean, one of the, the big things that I, I think I need to get reminded of myself all the time is putting yourself in those spaces where you're the lower person on the totem pole where you're basically yeah. taking nuggets from everyone else and it seems like i mean that's one of the it seems like the keys of success for yeah. the visco here right right yeah. um so everyone listening i mean if if you don't have that network if you don't have that that group if you don't have that that entity whatever it is go find it that's the first thing you could probably do today yeah. besides buying the book Go find that group that you can put yourself into. Uh, thank you for, for listening. Please subscribe. Please share. Go in the show notes and go buy Adricio's book. Thank you for listening to The Road to Growth, Success of an Entrepreneur. Please like, subscribe, and stay connected. Visit www.TheEnriquezGroup.com. Yeah, I created a website. Hope to see you again next week. The Enriquez Group, signing off.